Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Bald Guy Podcast with your host, Jeff Brown, and our guest, David Schaefer. Today, we're going to be talking to Dr. David Schaefer. He is highly experienced in EIULs, Equity Index Universal Life Insurance Policies, which are basically different than whole life in one major way. It's structured primarily for tax-free retirement income, not a death benefit. Now, what we're going to do today, we're going to compare the last 25 years and what the market's actually done with EIULs, what it can be expected reasonably using common sense to do down the road for a few decades. And we want to compare various returns because what happens with this industry, the insurance industry, like real estate and anything else, there are regulations uh, laid over what can be what can be shown for analysis and what cannot be shown for analysis. So recently, there was a uh, an edict from uh, the feds that say when Dave does an analysis of a particular EIUL policy for a client for future income, he is restricted to using uh, a yield of just over 7%. He'll get specific in a second here. I know when we first started years ago, he was mostly indexing to the S&P index, and that was slightly over 8% for give or take half a century. So it was, I think everybody would agree, that was relatively reliable. He has since switched indexes, and he'll he'll tell you what index he uses and what it includes in that package. But what we're going to do today, first of all, we're going to give you four examples of EIULs for people in totally different circumstances because we all, none of this is cookie cutter, which is what I like about it. The main thing, though, is we're going to do a comparison on each example. So we're going to do one with the government-regulated just over 7% yield, and then we're going to do what's been true for the last 25 years or more with the index that Dave uses today. And what you will see clearly is the illustration of the time value of money. Everybody talks about that, but they don't really understand sometimes the difference it makes. And in some cases, and I think you'll see today in almost all cases, the difference in time over a slightly smaller return. We're generally talking about 2% here, give or take. That's not an exaggeration. So, Dave, let me let me just have you preface this entire conversation and explain the differences between what you're required to do analysis with by per government uh, regulation, what you were using before this went in, and the index you're using now, and kind of lay it out in layman's terms for us. About... Uh, six or eight months ago, um, the regulatory agencies got together, and they were concerned that EIUL illustrations were being illustrated too aggressively. And I'm sure they were out there, because given in the hands of young, inexperienced folks who are trying to make a sale, there's all sorts of things that I'm sure they were projecting and saying that probably aren't going to come true. But... 
as usual, whenever you have some government regulation overlaid on top of you, it goes way over and above what one can expect to happen. So they came up with a formula, and the formula basically looks at all the things going into the returns an insurance company, a, a particular insurance company has. And then they look at this product, and they're saying what the maximum amount that you can illustrate this product for is based on that. Now, interesting enough, each product and each company has a little bit different level that you can illustrate at, and each option within this. And so it gets a little confusing, but the bottom line for me is that it forced me to illustrate even more conservatively than what I had been doing before. And uh, I want to tell you what I was doing before because I think it illustrates what we're talking about here. I was illustrating my EIULs at between 8 and 8.25% eight and for the long term. And the way I got to that uh, that amount is simply this, is that the long-term returns of the various options are all well above that. But about five years ago, Minnesota Life Insurance Company did a study, and they looked at every 20-year period since 1900. And they were doing this on the S&P 500 at the current cap rates that they had at that particular point. And they said, what were the all the 20-year returns over that 110-year period of time? And then they created a distribution curve. And in that distribution curve, the least amount in 20 years that you got was about 7.8%. That was the, the worst 20-year time period. Going out one or two levels, you got between eight and 8.5%. The highest was like 10.7%, I believe. So one standard deviation was 8, which meant that 66% of all the returns were greater than 8, and two standard deviations was 8.5. So I, I basically took in between 8 and 8.5 as the most likely scenario for folks, knowing that I could err a little bit on the, on the lower part, you know. So that's what I've done. And that's where I came up with the 8 or 8.25%, depending on how things were going and what particular option I was using for folks. And that was conservative because, once again, that's, that was a good percentage point or more, less than what the, the historical averages have told us we were going to get for the previous 25 years. Let so me interrupt that because that's the same thing I've done for years, for 30, 40 years in real estate, no matter what, for instance – rents are doing, what trend they're doing, no matter what the vacancy rate is, no matter what appreciation is, you just you just don't use the best all the time. You go back and look historically what's expected. It's you you have to be reasonable like that. It sounds like that's exactly what you've been doing. Yeah, I, I try I try to I've always tried to illustrate these in a reasonable manner. So like I said, the, uh, there's been a long-going fight between Wall Street and the insurance companies over this product and other products that goes way, way back. And so Wall Street is always trying to use, and they're very powerful, their, their muscle with the regu regulators to force the insurance products into not demonstrating what they can really do. And that's a long history. It's not this particular product. It's a long history. So they were successful in – they were trying to do other things, but they were successful in only doing one thing, and that is to force a very conservative illustration on the insurance industry. 
And I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. Certainly, I'm sure there was many, many, many abuses of this. But, of course, what they've done is they created a situation where our maximum illustration for Minnesota life, for my options I choose for them, is 7.1%, which is over a half a percentage point less than the 115-year history of 20-year returns. And so you can see how conservative that really is. And so, but that's what we live with right now, and um, and I'm okay with that because even using those type of conservative numbers, the product works great. And I think at the end of the day, if you can tell people that, hey, this is the worst-case scenario, this is worse than it's ever done in the history of the stock market since 1900, and here's what your outcome could be, I think that's a pretty strong point for folks and maybe make them feel better as opposed to just putting something out there that's very aggressive that really does look too good to be true. That's always been my approach. And so now we're at 7.1% on our returns. And this is for Minnesota Life's products, not necessarily for anybody else's. They all they all range somewhere between 65 and I don't think I've seen much over 7.1%, maybe 7.2%. And how they get those numbers, don't ask me. I tried. I talked to the underwriters about this. They're not even sure. It's some sort of arcane <laughs> numbers that they put into some weird calculator and, and, and out of out, out the spits. And I'm sure there's some negotiation going on, too. <laughs> so, right. so I have no idea. All I know is that it's it's less than uh, a good a good bit less than what has ever happened before. And so um, there's there's where we're at. And now getting a little bit to the different options. Um, when you get an EIUL, you have in the Minnesota Life when you have five different options. And it ranges from an S&P 500 option to a blended option, which has the S&P 500, a Eurostock 50, Russell 2000, and the Barclay bond in it. So it's a mixture of, of those. And that's the one I like the best right now. But, um, but And there's there's others in there, too. So there's five different options. I tend to choose the one that the historic numbers say has done the best. And uh, the blended option is relatively new, but the indexes aren't. So uh, so that demonstrates just a little bit better than the S&P 500. So that's what I tend to start people out in. And once again, once I get you started out in something, every year you could change it if you felt like it. Wouldn't advise it, but certainly that's within your options if for some reason you didn't like the uh, the initial option we put you in. When it goes to options, it's not really a big deal because, once again, I just use the one that has the, the – the best historic numbers, um, you might have a different idea of what you want to do, and, and that's fine, too, because those options are there for you to use. So having said all that, um, I just want people to understand that uh, when they get an illustration from me, it's going to be illustrated at the 7.1% that we have today. Now, it does change on a year-to-year basis, but that's what we're looking at now. And that uh, I would never give a illustration – at 9.24%, which is what the 25-year look-back is, uh, I just it would make me feel very uh, uneasy doing that just because I feel like I'm putting something out there that might not happen. So um, so that's just my feeling. And so when we go through these numbers later, um, I understand that I'm just offering this as a way to understanding how these work and not suggesting what return you're going to get uh, on the high side. So. So what we'll do with these then, Dave, is is you'll give the 7.1, give or take, yield in terms of dollars of income at the end, and you'll compare it to what if it performs the way it has for over the past, 
25 or more years. That's correct. Okay. Well, let's get started then. Um, let's take a look yep. at a 32-year-old healthy woman. She's going to start out with $500 a month. And all these premiums today are going to be indexed to inflation. So if inflation was 2% after her first year, that $500 would be $510, correct? That's correct, but two percent is a little conservative. I I uh, I usually use three or four percent because I think that's more realistic on on the future inflation. So no, I was just using the current fantasy numbers. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Fantasies are <laughs> now. So let's go thirty years with thirty years of resulting income when uh, the premiums are done. Now, how much is she going to make using the regulated numbers for return? And how much using the empirically historic return of the last quarter century? Yeah, she's going to pay premium for 30 years, and then she wants 30 years worth of income after that. And so uh, what she's going to have with the 7.1%, which is the maximum allowable in the illustration, will be $73,000 a year tax-free for those 30 years. So based on putting in $500 a month, she ends up with $73,000 tax-free. Now... Hold on to your hats, because the time value of money, as mentioned earlier, is pretty substantial in these examples. If we use the 9.24%, she will have $235,000 a year. I repeat that, $235,000 a year. Now, why is there such a difference? Well, we're talking 60 years here, right? 30 years of paying premium, 30 years of income, 60 years in which you're going to get an additional 2-plus percent more in return. So that's the difference, and it's substantial. Well, and this is illustrating why, which is, by the way, illustrating is the word of the day. The key thing that uh, when when uh, Albert Einstein had compounding explained to him and how it works over a long period of time, he immediately called it the eighth wonder of the world, which I thought was hilarious. So what even if with this with this young lady, thirty two year old, she starts with just five hundred a month and it goes up via inflation for thirty years and then she starts getting it, you're talking about a difference of way over uh, uh, or give or take a hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year with the actual return we've seen for the last since she was seven. Okay. And yeah. <laughs> and, and and so in reality even if you if if you cut that difference in half, you're you're probably talking about her doing something in the range of 120 to 130 thousand a year, 140 maybe, um, to be to be just right down the middle. That's incredible, and that's all tax free. Let's keep underlining that after each answer because there is there are very few phrases at least in my universe, that put a smile on my face more quickly than tax-free. It's interesting because I, I was just talking to a client yesterday, and uh, we were talking about that, and, and this particular client lives in Nevada. They don't have an income uh, tax, state income tax in Nevada. And uh, guess what? I said, you know what? You know, I don't know what your future plans would be, but let's just pretend for a second that – since you're out there anyway, that for some some reason you end up getting jobs in California. How much more is that going to cost you if you have to pay state income tax on your 401k mutual fund 
retirement, you know. And so he, he stopped for a second and said, well, that's going to be a lot. I think it's almost 10% there in California. I said, that's right. <laughs> On top of the federal, you're going to have additional 8 to 10% come off the top right there. Because, or, or you're going to do this, you're going to say, I can't take that good job in California because I don't want to have to put up with the state income tax. So this is a way for you to have a little more freedom. You own this. You never have to worry about state income taxes, federal income taxes. You don't have to worry about what happens in the future with taxes um, because it's, it's outside of their purview. Well, I can tell you with painful accuracy what the tax rate is in California. Everything over roughly 50000 is 9.3%. If you if you're blessed enough to have a retirement in excess of 250,000, you are now over 10% at roughly 2.2 or 3%. So it, it's it's huge. It's huge. Typically, I tell people that in order to net the same from a 401k wherever you live, that income is going to have to be 1.2 to 1.2 four times higher just to have the same after-tax income as the tax-free income from an EIUL. So that's uh, true. The numbers don't lie. Yep. Well, let's let's move on to number two. So we're going to have the same $500 a month index to inflation, but this time, instead of a young lady, we're going to have a 45-year-old guy who's going to do the – 500 a month index to inflation for 15 years, but he wants that from the time he's 60, he wants a 30-year payoff period till he's 90. So let's look at the two yields again. What can he expect either way? Sure, and I just want to talk a little bit about this example. This is a little bit of an extreme example because they're putting in $500 a month, which isn't a huge amount, and they're only doing it for 15 years. And then they want it to last for 30 years, which is twice as long as they pay premium in. So at the 7.1%, that's $15,000 a year for 30 years. At the 9.24, it's 37800 So over, yeah. over two times as much in that period of time. Right. Now, the other way he might have gone is to do a 15-year payoff, uh, which I won't ask you for the number. But but the 15-year payoff, and then at age 60, during those 15 years between 60 and 75 years old, he would have instituted a second EIUL. But what you bring up, and, and rightly so, is the very real potential that at 60, for whatever reason, he might not be as healthy or as insurable as he was at 45. And so that's something that, that – that's a risk people take when they expect to reinstitute new insurance policies later in life. Did I say that right? You said that right. Got it. Well, let's move on then. Understand, here's a guy at 45 years old, and I want to do a comparison here because I think this is germane. The average person in the United States, when they hit 65 – has less than $100,000 in their 401k, which is not good. But let's say this guy had a million dollars at age 60. And he lives not in a high-tax state or in a no-tax state. He's just in the middle somewhere. 
if he had a million dollars, and they're they're always telling us, you know, you're going to do about four percent, which is what I would love to see the, right now, considering that basically they're lucky that the ten-year Treasury is doing give or take two and a half, which is risk averse. And if you want to stay risk averse, I don't know how you nearly double that and stay risk averse. But if he got four percent on that million dollars. He took all those years, probably 30 years or more, to get a million dollars in there. And he's making 40000 before tax. If you're very conservative and say that, give or take, that 40000 is going to, between state and federal taxation, is going to get boiled down to, say, let's call it thirty-four. Let's be very generous. At 34000 and you don't know when the tax law changes. With the EIUL, he's going to be getting how much in 15 years? Um, between 15 and 37,800. And that's okay. without the million dollars. That's just putting in $500 a month for for 15 exactly. years. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So. <laughs> so there's a people understand that when 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 you hear the phrase tax free, the impact is tremendous. Let's go on to the third one. Now you got the same comparison. You have a 50-year-old woman who's putting the five puts $500,000 in five equal premiums paid in four years in a day, which is what is required when you do that. You're not allowed just to put $500,000 in. What would be her 30-year payoff if that was allowed to simmer for 15 years, doing it both ways? At the 7.1% allowed illustration rate, she would have $82,000 tax-free for 30 years. At the 9.24%, she'd have $206,600 tax-free for 30 years. So let's just divide that by two and say that she would be able to do somewhere around uh, ten or $12,000 a month tax-free until she's 95, starting at age 65. Imagine if you have a half a million dollars to invest and just let it cook. And you you can wait that 15 years till you're 65. Your Social Security would be your walking around money. It's just amazing. Imagine getting ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000 a month. Imagine if it performs the next 15 years at the way it has the last 25 and she gets over 200000 or about 200000 I mean, when I say spectacular, we are not exaggerating. And compared to 401Ks, it's, it's an embarrassment to 401Ks. So let's do the last <laughs> one today. The same comparison. You have a 21-year-old who starts with a premium of $100 a month because that's what they can do. And, and it's, in, it's indexed to inflation. And it never, he never increases that amount except for the inflation, okay, regardless of how much his income goes up. He does this for 44 years until he's 65 years old, starting at 65 and for the next 35 years until he's 95. What would be the range of income that that small little amount would have produced? $100 a month, 44 years, indexed to inflation, 7.1%. 47k a year for 30 years. 
the 25-year look back, 188000 for those 30 years. Once again, we're seeing the time value of money working here. It's a long time. It's only 21. And that that calculation just separates out pretty quickly. So. So let me let me illustrate this in a way that hits people right where they live, Dave. So he's gonna he's gonna do somewhere again in the ten, twelve, thirteen thousand a month if you divide it by two between the what we know empirically has happened in the last twenty five years and the new yep. very conservative yield that you're you're compelled to use analysis for. So if he's gonna get say one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars right in the middle of that, okay? He would have to accumulate $2 million into his 401k at work. And if he was able to get 8%, which he's not going to do, predicting that is just absolutely insane on that $2 million in retirement, he'll have $160,000 a year taxable income. And he's still going to have a problem coming up with 125000 a year after taxes. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. But here's the thing. He's not going to get $2 million. That would put him in roughly, you tell me, but I think that would put him in the top one percentile of America. Oh, absolutely. Well, 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 probably the top 0.3%, I would guess, having $2 million yeah. in a 401k. It, yeah, I, I talk to people all the time, and, and they swear they're going to get one, two. I had one guy tell me $5 million in the 401K, and and uh, I, I I typically ask them, um, how did they do in 2008? And it gets very quiet. And we're going to continue over the next 50 years having NASDAQ crashes like 2000 and 2001, give or take, and the 2008 Dow, and all the things we've experienced, and we haven't even talked about the uh, the October crash. What year was that, Dave? Uh, in, the, in the 1990s, I think. Uh, 86, or he says it's late 80s, whatever it was. So. Yeah. You know, it's and interesting it, because you you said Nasdaq. You know what? The peak of the Nasdaq was the year 2000. It still hasn't hit that peak yet. Yeah. It, and, and what I tell people is this. You know, we, we're, let's revert back to the, the main investment lesson uh, for today's podcast, which is the time value of money. And what's funny is you look at when your stock market investments go down, people say, well, you don't lose if you don't sell. Absolutely 100% accurate. Nobody's going to argue that. Here's the problem. Then if you had a million dollars in NASDAQ in 2000, you've had 15, 16 birthdays since then. Those pesky birthdays never stop happening. Meanwhile, that million bucks has been on a treadmill going nowhere fast, and you can't get those birthdays back. And the other thing is that people people don't remember it, but back then, and I'm sure you do, Jeff, um, what was the hottest thing to do? You you invested in tech stocks, the NASDAQ stocks. Those are the places everyone was telling you to put your money. I mean, and so yeah. here we are. It turns out that that wasn't exactly where you wanted to put your money, you know, but that was the place. Some people thought they were going to get 30% yearly returns from these tech stocks, you know, because that's what had happened a couple of years previous, you know. So uh, so it's 
even more illuminating when you realize that not just the NASDAQ, but that was the place everyone was saying, put your money in tech stocks. That's where it's going to be. So, Well, I got two final observations on exactly that topic. One is that human nature, and we're all guilty of this if you don't pay attention to the empirical evidence, is that no matter what the trend line is doing on the chart, human nature says that's the way it's going to keep going, whether it's upwards or downwards. We always think, oh, we're all going to die when it's going down. And we all know from history it's, it eventually goes up. And as it's going up, 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 we all know it's eventually not going to go up anymore. It's going to come back down. And 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 so when we look at these things, we have to understand that logic and the real numbers and history is still going to dictate what's going to happen. My One of my favorite clients came to me. Uh, out of the blue, they heard about me, and they had just under 500000 in the NASDAQ the week it crashed, and they ended up with about 320 something faster than they could watch it happen. And they were just devastated. They were, they were about 50, 51 years old. They were married since forever, and they came to me, and fortunately, the wife's father had left her four pieces of real estate, crummy, but a lot of equity. And the bottom line is they're retired today, 16 years later, using real estate. I didn't know about EIULs in 2000, but they're retired today with five figures a month income. If they'd have stuck with, with the stock market, I who knows what they'd be doing today. I'm, I'm not bashing the stock market. I'm just saying, relatively speaking, I can count on one hand and have my thumb left over of the people I know who've retired with stock market income. That is impressive. Got any last comment? You know, uh, yeah, Jeff, there's actually a psychological term for what, what you're describing. It's called recency bias. And what that is is the tendency for us to believe what's happened in the recent past is what's going to happen in the future. And it's a known psychological phenomenon. We all suffer from it. Um, uh, and it's one of the things that makes us such poor uh, general investors. Right. And then a lot of people compound that mistake by then inserting into the equation confirmation bias. Uh, if, it, if it does go up a little bit, they go, see? And you you can't win when you combine those two you can't win because there's nothing objective about it listen thanks a lot everybody thank you for listening we'll catch you next time thanks for listening to the bald guy podcast with jeff brown and our guest david schaefer